sort of success with physical fitness, you no doubt know that that kind of physique doesn't just happen in 10 days. 30 days to Dwayne Johnson beach ready abs is a myth. Just ask him yourselves. He's a rock for the reason. It's a lifetime thing, right? We know that the only way, the only way to actually get physically fit, there's two things. Are you, some of you are like, thank you. There's two things. Um, one is to strain your muscles. Continuously breaking down, refining. You've got you to strain yourself. It's not easy. And the second thing is, probably more important, is clean eating. You're welcome. You can go home. That's, that's, your, that's your fitness routine. That, that works. That's what works. Anyone who's experienced any sort of success, that's what's worked. Um, now, if I could go a little further, all of us have been tricked by some sort of like hip, new, beach ready abs in 10 days, right? And it's like nine days before vacation. We've, all of us have been tricked by that sort of thing before, by some sort of product. But if I could go a little further with you today... How many of you have ever felt like somebody, maybe somebody you cared about, that you thought loved you, maybe left you with some empty promises as well? See, for a lot of us in a room like this, or whether you're listening online, you have no doubt had people in your life make promises to you that they didn't keep. Your kids, I mean, your kids, you told them, pick, pick up, get ready, people are coming over, get this place, this place looks terrible and it's your fault. Pick it up. And then you come back three hours later, what are they doing? Still watching Stranger Things on Netflix. And you're like, come on, man. Maybe it's a little bit different. Maybe you're the child and uh, your dad's maybe promised you, your mom's maybe promised you some time. And here it is, almost bedtime again. And where are they? Still at work. Maybe for you, it's it's different. Maybe your boss, your boss, I mean, your boss promised you, said, you are, the, you are the person for this job. You will get this promotion. Don't you worry. Your time's coming. And then what happens? You put in for the position and somebody that, in your opinion, doesn't work near as hard as you. They haven't been there as long as you. They get the position over you. Empty promises. Empty promises. If I could go a little further, impress you a little bit more, Maybe for you, it's a spouse that promised to be faithful, and you found out that's not been the case. Or maybe it's, maybe it's your boyfriend that uh, he promises this relationship's going somewhere, but here it is still at the same level all these years later, and you've noticed he started to like his, girlfriend's picture, his ex-girlfriend's pictures on Instagram a little bit more, and you're starting to wonder where it's going. I could go on and on. I could hit every single one of us because all of us have had people make promises to us that they did not keep. Now, if I could go still further with you, if it's okay. Some of you here feel this way about God. And there's somebody listening, there's somebody online that's listening to this right now, and you maybe feel that way about God. You feel maybe God has slighted you. In fact, that could be the reason for you. This is the first time in church in a long time. Or it's not that big of a deal to you because somebody who said they worshipped God treated you as though they did not worship God. And it turned you away, and I'm really sorry for that. Maybe you, you, you have this grand idea with 
that what it was supposed to look like following God, and that's not been the case. And you wonder, you start to wonder, is God really just? Does God really care? And if, he do, if he's so great, then why does it seem like everywhere around me evil is winning? Why does it seem like I cannot catch a break? Why, why, why? Today, we pick back up in Malachi the very last book in the Old Testament of the Bible. And we pick back up in Malachi. Malachi is really interesting. It's laid out very easy for us. There's six times in Malachi that God and this people that he chose, the Israelites, dispute. Six times. The first one they ask, does God really love us? The second one, does God really require our best? And the third one, does God really care about the marriage relationship? In this one, Israel decides to take it upon themselves to question God's integrity. Is God really just? And God answers back. Because, you see, he does that. If you are gutsy enough to question if he's really good, he's going to answer. And Israel's about to, te- to get the fresh dose of God's answer today. So why? Why are they even in this little back and forth argument? Well, if you would allow me uh, to lay some foundation, if you're just joining us in this Trust Me series, uh, to, to lay a foundation for us. See, this people of Israel, they were promi- they were chosen by God, promised by God to inherit this promised land. Okay, They finally inherit it, and it's a whole lot of work to get there, but they finally get it. And then they start disobeying God. They start drawing away from God. And this vicious cycle starts happening. And eventually what happens is a foreign nation comes in and takes them captive and destroys their promised land. Completely destroys it. Their temple, everything, lays it, lays it to waste. Eventually they get to come back. And they come to their promised land. And what do they find? It's still destroyed. So they take it upon themselves to start rebuilding their city. They start with the walls. They start rebuilding their house. And eventually God says, hey, um, my house is still laid in ruins. You might want to work on that one first. So they start rebuilding that one. And God promises them, if you rebuild my house, I will dwell among you like I once did. And it's around that promise that today we experience a very disgruntled people because it's around that promise that this tension is starting to form. And this fourth dispute happens because the nation of Israel fulfilled all these things. They followed all the rules. They rebuilt this amazing temple. And they had this preconceived expectation that God was going to fill the temple like he did before in the days of Moses and Solomon. You remember if you studied scripture, the pillar of fire and of smoke, and there was always a physical representation of God's presence in the temple or the tabernacle. And it wasn't happening. Every day they'd walk by this beautiful temple and there was no evidence of a physical representation of God's presence anywhere in that temple. And if we had to be honest, some of you feel that way about your lives today. You feel that there is no physical representation of God's presence anywhere in your life. In fact, this nation, they knew the blessings of God. They knew what they were promised, but they thought it would look different than it actually did. You ever been there? We all have. So finally, 
God answers back. Because he does that. When you question his integrity, he answers back. But before we jump in today, I would like to just step back. As I was preparing this message, I thought I need to just ask them one thing. Whoever hears this, just ask you one thing. And this is all I'll ask of you, okay? But if, you, if you're listening, if you choose to listen today, would you please, wherever you're at, just listen. With an open heart and an open mind. That's all I'm going to ask. The reason I'm going to ask you that, this is a hard message to hear. I'm just going to tell you right away. But please rest assured, it is a really hard message to preach. It is. As I was preparing this message, I thought, this, is, this is a hard one. Okay, we're, but we're in it together. It's a hard one. But if you can hang with me, I promise you this, and this isn't an empty promise, I promise you this. You will be well on your way to hope and clarity. And there is so much hope lodged within this really hard message from God today. I'm calling this message Blessing Through Refining, if you're taking notes. And the reason I'm calling it that is because oftentimes the blessings of God only come through a process of great refining. And it's when the refining happens in our lives that we go to, we go to asking and questioning God's integrity because nobody likes to be refined. And we're going to find that out today. So our passage today, I love when Scripture does this. It doesn't always happen, and this makes sermons a little easier to flow when you're writing them. But this passage today lays it out in three stops. There are three separate stops that we'll go on today. And it's it's so clear. It's, It's easy to get through, but it's really hard to listen. And here's what I'll promise you. There's three separate stops. If, and it's a big if, you can get by our first stop, and don't walk out, you'll be well on your way to clarity, to hope, maybe some peace, and some understanding. But you got to make it through the first one. It's a hard one, okay? It's a hard one. I would love to be able to stand up here and go, you know what? You're going to love everything I'm going to say today. It's going to be great, but I can't promise you that today. The first one is the hardest, but if you keep listening, I promise you, you will see some great hope at the end of this. We kind of have this tendency to think. That God's blessing is always painless. We have, this grand, we have this grand scheme in our minds that when we know, when we accept Jesus, if you've done that and you follow Jesus, that it's going to be painless, that it's going to be great all the time. And when something happens, a bump in the road, we get a little bit upset. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to step back and I'm just going to let God speak to us for this First stop, through the prophet Malachi, listen to these words. Malachi 2.17, God says this to the people. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Translation, you have tired God out with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good In the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or where is this God of justice? Do you know why they were whining? You do now. You know because they rebuilt this temple. They had this grand scheme. Like He's going to fill it again. It's going to happen right now. It's going to be great. And it did not happen. Every day they walk by this temple, and it sits there completely empty. And I almost wonder. And I had to ask myself this question. Are you that person? 
Are you that person that when something goes wrong in your life, you go, why are you testing me, God? Why? You're really testing me today, God. You're really putting me through something today, God. Why are you doing this, God? Or we get cynical in our response to God and we go to questioning something that he's doing because we feel like maybe it's unfair. We have this grand idea of when we come to Jesus what our circumstances should look like afterwards and it doesn't always happen that way. We will go through the motions and we'll go, I pray, God. I go to church, God. I even pay my tithe, God. And the list goes on. That's what they did in our passage today. They followed all the rules. And they had this preconceived expectation of what they thought the promises of God should look like. And what they did is they neglected realizing that they have to trust that God knows the best way to fulfill his promises and blessings to his people. But that never happens, does it, where God does something completely different than we expected? doesn't happen. If you snickered, you know that's not true. It's almost always different than we expect. This is the hardest of the three steps. I led up to it, and I want to have some fun. If you'll humor me again today, uh, here's our first stop. Here's a quick summary. Stop your whining. Everyone turn to your neighbor and say, stop your whining. You guys are great. Thank you so much. I was really worried no one would do that. And if first service did it, you guys always do it. So thank you. At the core of Malachi's words to stop their whining is this. The nation must drop their preconceived expectations of what they think the promises of God should look like fulfilled. You and I have, dropped, have got to drop our preconceived expectations of what the promises of God we think should look like fulfilled and trust that we don't have to tell God what he should be doing. But first, we've got to stop our whining. It hurt me too, don't worry. <laughs> Israel had to stop because it would take over 400 years for what we read next to happen. Would you be able to wait that long on a promise? Hey, I'm going to promise you this great thing. You're like great, great, great. I'm not good at math. I went to Bible college. But your great-grandchildren are going to figure this out someday and experience it. But you'll have no idea because you'll be long dead by then. That's not a very good promise. Now, what I want to do is I want to take a little bit of a break because I think this is important and I don't want to be misunderstood because sometimes you can be misunderstood and because like there's someone with a microphone, you're not going to ask unless we're down here together, which we will be after, but I'm just going to clarify this up front. This does not mean that you cannot come to God with your thoughts and concerns, even your anger. This does not mean that you can't say, God, I am really mad right now. This really stinks. In fact, I'm mad at you. And this, if you read the Psalms, it's filled with that. We're allowed to do that. Here's where the nation went wrong. When they accused God of loving evil and of causing the mess that they were in, that's where they went wrong. So, yes, you go ahead and you tell God when you're upset because he loves you so much he wants to hear that. But be very, very careful that you don't go accusing God of not holding up his end of the deal 
or causing the things that are going wrong in your life. Because the odds are the fulfillment of his promise to you is way better than you could have ever imagined. The nation accused God of loving evil, and that's where they went wrong in their whining. So be very, very careful that you have never said this. And maybe you have, so I'm going to not look at you so that you don't feel embarrassed. But be very careful that you never say this. God, God gave me cancer. Or, I, I won't look at you. Or, God is tempting me. Or when somebody leaves this earth, especially prematurely, we say this, God must have needed them more than he needed them here. God must have needed him more there than he needed him here. That is ridiculous. God did not cause your issues. God did not cause you to have this sickness. He is not causing the troubles in your relationships. He is not causing these things in your life. He wants to hear about them, but be very, very careful that you don't go accusing him of causing the situation that you find yourself in. That's where the nation went wrong. And that's what ticked God off and why he had to start out a little abruptly with stop your whining. Now, moving on. After he sets them straight, and he's probably got their attention, he goes on to something that I think is just really incredible. Now he reminds them. He reminds them of what he had in store for this temple to begin with. See, the second stop is really cool. The first one, stop your whining. The second stop is trust his process. So now, humor me one more time. Turn to your neighbor say, and, and a lot nicer than you did with, tr- with stop your whining. Say, trust the process. Go ahead. Trust the process. You guys rock. Here's what, the, here's, here's what God says next. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then, suddenly... The Lord that you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. I will apologize ahead of time. I get really excited for this part because this is awesome. Okay, here's what we know about the prophet Malachi. Here's what we know about this fourth dispute. If you read that passage carefully, you actually notice there's two different messengers he refers to. It's not the same one. It's two different ones in two different contexts. If you're a student of the Bible, who do you think the messenger is that will prepare the way before him? Anybody? You guys are good. John the Baptist. You see, if these two messengers didn't come, you wouldn't have a New Testament. We wouldn't have a New Testament church, which you're sitting in right now. These two messengers are what starts our New Testament in Scripture. Just a little ways in the Matthew, you read about these two messengers. John the Baptist, who will prepare the way for him. In fact, at the end of Malachi, he even says, John, he even says, I will send my messenger in the spirit of Elijah. What, does, what, what do the gospel writers say about John the Baptist? He came in the what? Spirit of Elijah. Now, for you really great Bible scholars, if messenger number one was John the Baptist, who do you think the messenger of the covenant is? You can say it. It's the right answer. Jesus. 
Someone first service went, Jesus. And I'm like, yes, that was good. (laughs) Jesus. When this baby Jesus is brought to the temple by his parents, this prophecy that was over 400 years old is fulfilled that day. And God did fill his temple in the flesh. But they had to wait. And not only that, we're going to get to this in a minute, but he's doing something else still today. You see, Jesus not only filled the temple then, but as he grew and as he continued entering the temple every time to teach and preach, it was still this prophecy being fulfilled. I will enter my temple and the Lord you seek will come. Do you remember when I said that God's way of fulfilling his promises are probably way better than you could have ever anticipated in the first place? God could have done something. He could have said, you know, I'm going to just go ahead and do what you want me to do and fill it like it always was. I'm going to just go back to the days of Moses and Solomon. You'll see a physical representation of me in your temple. But what did he do? He said, nope, not this time. He blew the doors off of that place. And he filled the temple once and for all so that every single person who believes in him can have him living inside of them. Because the truth is this. He is still filling his temple right now. And I'm not just talking about you sitting in a seat. If you follow Jesus, and this is the invitation, if you don't yet, if you follow Jesus, you are the temple, and he is living inside of you. He says that, he promises that, he is still fulfilling this prophecy all these years later, and you are that fulfillment. Now, told you I was going to get excited. I'm not going to apologize, though, because I think someone needs to hear this. I think we need to go a little further today. I think, in fact, a lot of us need to have this conversation because I want you to know if you're here, maybe you have never been told what Jesus actually does promise you. And if you're like me, you you probably, when you started to believe, or maybe you haven't yet, but you know what everyone says Jesus is against, but no one's ever told you who and what Jesus is for. And that saddens me because some of the things people say Jesus is against, he never even said he was against. But maybe you've never been told what Jesus is for or who Jesus is for. And in fact, maybe you've never been told the promises of Jesus that are spoken over you. So I would love to take a moment and tell you these. And I know somebody needs to hear these today. And I hope this is encouraging for you. We won't go through all of them because you would need a lifetime to go through all of them. But here's a few. Promise number one. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, here's your promise. I will never drive away. Moving on, you are my friends. If you do what I command, no longer do I call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, here's your promise. I have called you friends for. Everything I have learned from the Father, I've made known to you. Everything you need to know, he has made known to you. In that same promise, he says this going on. You did not choose me. (laughs) How often do we think we chose Jesus? You didn't choose me. Here's your promise. I chose you. I chose you and appointed you so you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And here's the second half of that one promise. So that whatever you ask for in my name, the Father will give you. 
Hit pause for a minute because that passage is a little bit misunderstood. That does not mean, my friends, that if you pray for Chick-fil-A in Whitestown, it's going to happen, but it did, and we're thankful for that. That's not what this means, though. Let me just clarify. Whoever did pray for that, by the way, thank you. But let me just clarify what this means. What this passage means, it's so much more beautiful, if you can get more beautiful than Chick-fil-A clothes, but it's so much more beautiful than that. What this passage means, whatever you ask for in my name, here's what this means. He knew that his followers were about to endure some crazy stuff. He knew they were going to face death, persecution, even today. And he tells them, whatever you ask for in my name, I will give it to you. You ask for courage, guess what? I'm going to give you courage. In fact, I'm going to create moments where you'll be courageous. We know never to ask for patience, though, right? We're not even going to touch that. So, but but you, you ask for opportunities to show love to other people, to tell other people about who I am. He's going to give you those opportunities. Whatever you ask for, whatever you need, you ask it, and he will give it to you. One more one more promise. There's so many more, but I know somebody needs to be reminded of this. In fact, I needed to be reminded of this this week. This was music to my ears this week. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and here's your promise, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And here's your promise, you will find rest for your souls. Oh, how I needed to hear that. Look, I don't know where each of you find yourself here today. I don't, but here's what I do know. How we choose to think about our circumstances directly impacts the way, the filter in which we view the world and other people and God. We may have a preconceived expectation of what we think the promises of God should look like fulfilled. But only God knows how those promises should look like fulfilled in our lives. Trust His process. And that leads to the third one, the third stop in this passage. You made it through the first one, and you're still here. I didn't see you walk out. The second one was pretty awesome, but this third one's a little hard still. See, another half of the blessing, often we think that coming to Jesus, experiencing the blessings of God, when you accept Jesus, that your life is just going to be one constant, long, summer camp-like experience, and it's going to be great. That's not the case. In fact, we like it when the preacher skips over the second part of this prophecy. Here's the third stop. Blessing comes through refining. God says this through the prophet Malachi to the people. Right after they hear this great promise, he says that he follows up with this. Can you imagine? But who can endure that day when that promise is fulfilled? Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire in a launderer's soap. You skip down a few verses. Listen to this. You've just been given this great promise. Then he follows it up with this. So I will come and put you on trial. Gee, thanks. So I like a certain brand of dress shirts. Now, don't call me high maintenance. You'll hurt my feelings. There's a reason why. I like a certain brand of dress shirts because when you have a torso that's a little bit shorter... You need a certain brand of shirt because normal size shirts look like dresses on you. Now, you may think that that's hip and trendy, but I can't get behind guys wearing t-shirts down here. It just looks weird on me. Some guys can pull it off. I am not, Philip is not one of those guys. So I need a special brand of shirt. 
As you can imagine, don't even say high maintenance. As you can imagine, they're a little hard to find. So when I find them, I'm a little protective of my shirts. Now, I'm trusting we're friends. So I'm going to tell you something, maybe TMI. I sweat a lot, guys. I do. I sweat, like when I'm preaching or when I'm doing something I'm passionate about, I sweat a lot. So nobody hug me like I'm covered in sweat, okay? That'll keep you from, covering, or from hugging me at the end of the service. Um, I'm just, it's, it's gross. So as you can imagine, some of you are like, he is so disgusting, all right? Just, you, you do it too, all right? You've got your own things. But I, I, I sweat a lot. And I like get these weird stains on my light colored shirts and it's kind of embarrassing. So what do I do? I go to the store. I pick up the extra harsh detergent, this kind that you spray on. And then you got to wait. And then you got to scrub. And you put it in the washer. You know what makes me real self-conscious? I got to do that like three times to get the stain out. It's, dis- it's, it's, it's terrible. But it's long and it's grueling. You know what happens when you follow Jesus? You become the stained shirt. And let me tell you something. All the stuff that contradicts who Jesus is in you and who he's made you in him, he's going to wash out. And you probably won't like it that much. But he's going to do it. And if you're like me, if you're like me, you feel like Jesus has to use a wire brush on you to get all this stuff out. Because there's a lot of, some of you are like, preach it, man, you're talking to me. Yeah, he has to use some extra harsh stuff to get the things out of your life that he's going to wash clean. Now, I would be lying to you if I told you only the good parts of this promise. I would be lying to you, in fact, if I said that blessing is just blessing and it never comes through refining. A lot of it does. Every promise that we receive often comes with pain associated with it. Here's an example. A surgeon will promise you that they will make you better through the surgery. However, there is much pain in the healing process. And there's even scars left during the healing process. Sometimes I think... We mistakenly think that the blessing of Jesus or that the coming of Jesus was only for blessing, was only for easy. There's more to it. There's a lot of refining that needs to happen. In fact, if you read the promises from Jesus himself and from other people in the New Testament, most of those promises are laced, are intertwined with a promise that you will also endure many trials and suffering. That the blessing gets even better when you endure the hardship that's going to come with the blessing. But we, if you're like me, I have great selective hearing. You can just tune that part right out. But there's no tuning it out. It will happen. Blessing comes through refining. Just ask any, ask any physical trainer. See, the promise that Jesus gives you and I is actually twofold. He wants to walk with you forever. He will live within you forever. But he will wash the things clean in your life that you want to stay there but that do not echo who he is. I see this in, with, with parents, with little children all the time. If you have a kid in high chairs, let's just be honest. They kind of gross you out when they eat. It's gross. Like you put mac and cheese in front of them and they're never like, thanks. 
with like pinky extended, they're like, whoom, right there. In fact, some of you still eat that way. If you went to city barbecue this week, you ate that way. Just so you know, Craig and I were the first ones there ever for their customers, not to brag. But we were there, and um, I used more napkins that meal than I had the whole week before. Some of you still eat that way. Now, what do you do? When your kid gets all that all up in their face and stuff, what do you do? You wet down a paper towel, you get a wet, wet wipe or whatever, and you wipe it off, sometimes a little harder than you probably need to. And what happens to your kid? What do they do? Thanks, Mom. They cry, and they cry, and they scream. He's going to wipe stuff from your life, and you might not like it. But it's necessary because nobody wants to walk around with barbecue sauce all up in your face all day. You're probably wanting some examples. Or maybe not because you're afraid I'm going to say yours. So I'll start with mine. I'll, I'll, start, I'll start with one just, just from, from my own life. Your anger issues. Your, your, your anger issues. You get angry a lot. He will call those things out. Through other people. Through the word, he'll call those things out, and you will be refined of that anger. You take things personally, you get angry quick when someone critiques you. Guess what? It's going to happen. Your pornography use, you may think. You may think it's only between me and the screen. Like, nobody knows. It's not hurting me. It's not hurting anyone. It's killing your brain. It's killing your love. And let me tell you something. You will be found out. He'll expose it. Your pride. How do you know if you struggle with pride? If you always think you're right and have an answer for everything, you might struggle with pride. It is really hard for Jesus to wipe pride from our lives. But rest assured, he's going to do it. Your unhealthy dating relationship, look, I know you love it when things, you know you love it when things are going well, but maybe it's time, and you'll know this, to allow Jesus to wipe that relationship, that unhealthy dating relationship from your life. The wiping away of sin is not an easy process. It never is. But what I found in my life as a believer is Jesus doesn't really make suggestions. Jesus makes commands. And let me tell you this, this is a hard one for me to hear, but it's one I needed to hear. If you're the type of person that if you have an issue with someone coming to you and calling out the things in your life that are maybe wrong or a little off or that you need to repent of or you need to drop, you are going to have a really hard time as a follower of Jesus. And I think you're going to have a hard time in life because people are going to call those things out. It's necessary to call those things out. We have to be refined. And Jesus loves you way too much to leave you the same. He will. He, he will call those things out. But how often do we sit back and we accept the goodness of God and, and demand the blessing? Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time for a little bit of an attitude check. Blessing comes through refining. Trust the refining process. That is how we know our God is just. He will refine. He will refine, and he always makes good on his promises. So I was thinking about how I would wrap up this message, and I thought immediately of an experience that I recently had, unlike any other. 
See, we've come kind of full circle, and I think this experience brings us full circle. We've realized that we've got to stop our whining, and we've got to, we've got to trust the process, and then we've got to understand that blessing oftentimes comes through refining. And I thought, like, what, how will I wrap this message up? Because it's a hard message. I don't want people to go, man, that really stunk. I want people to come out going, you know, I've got some changes to make. Let me go do it. So I thought I was thinking about this, and then my uncle Todd invited me to his CrossFit box up in northern Indiana on the 4th of July. And I'm like, sure, I like CrossFit. I, I love that. I'll go with you. But at this gym, a CrossFit box is a, is a CrossFit gym. I, I've, I heard something from the owner I've never heard before. I've never heard this, and it just completely transformed my thinking. I started thinking like, oh, that is good, man. I almost had him come preach this message. But before we get to that, I just want to, like, let me compare these. So in a conventional gym, you go into the gym, you put on your headphones, and you, the agonizing pain of your muscles tearing or you're regretting the ice cream that you ate for lunch, it's only experienced between you and the weights. Only, it's, a, it's a solo act, right? I find we do this in life. Oftentimes we think that the blessings of God are only for us. Or sometimes we think that the, the trials that we're going through and that we're finding that nobody else has ever gone through that before. Nobody else has ever struggled with anger or pornography or pride or whatever. No one else has or no one else has struggled the way that you struggle with it. And we tend to silo ourselves. Just like in a normal gym, you'll put in your headphones, you do your thing. You know what happens in a CrossFit gym? If you do CrossFit, you know this. The agonizing pain, and there's a lot of it, that you experience is experienced with everybody else. I was told headphones are not allowed, and then the owner said this, and I thought this was really profound. I almost asked him if he was a pastor too. He said this, if you're the first one done, you're the first cheerleader for everybody else. So my uncle and I, thanks to him, we were the second team done out of 20-some teams. So I'm going around this gym for people I've never met before, going up to them going, you can do it. Keep going. You carry that weight, man. You can do this. And they're going, oh, you know, all the way to the finish line. I'm walking beside. We're walking beside everybody else as they come in and cross that finish line. And I thought, what a beautiful, perfect picture of the Christian life. That other people that are going through something that you've went through, that you can go and cheer them on as they walk through it. We're in it together. Christianity is a group workout. It's not a solo one. It's a group one. While you're living your life, even the blessings of God, the trials that you go through while you're living your life, look around you. There's people going through the same thing. It's not a solo. In fact, a lot of this would be it'd be your life group, the people that you're in community with. You know, sometimes I think that Christians still never really address their mess, especially in the context of transforming community. And we're called to do that. So here's something really cool, and we'll wrap up with this. I, if you're the first one done, you're the first cheerleader for everybody else. Walk through that with them as they're being refined as you've been refined. This promise that we read today is still being fulfilled. It's being fulfilled in you because you are the temple. Blessing comes through refining. 
Justice was served for all upon the cross, and life was given through the resurrection. Ancient Israel, where Malachi talked to, they were on this side of the cross. We are on this side, and we know how it ends. But it's not without its pain. And I want you to know something else, because there were some stops today, maybe some things that really hit here. I want you to know this above all. The justice that was served upon the cross by Jesus. It was served for you. Don't miss next week as we continue in our journey to trusting God. His justice was served for you. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that your justice was served for us. May we remember that today. May we be challenged, encouraged. Refine us where we need refined. Encourage us where we need encouragement. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.